hear more from the What's Your One More podcast. To get links, graphs, and further show notes from the episode, check us out at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm joined again by my co-host, Mr. Alex Stewart, co-founder of The Market Distillery. Thanks for being here again today. Absolutely love being here. Yeah, man, we love having you here as you're uh, pretty much a standing co-host at this point here as we move into close to episode uh, 23. You know, I kind of want to talk about today, what moves the market? You know, we've been doing a lot of market reports here, especially over the course of the last well, six months. And it's because we get so many questions all the time in your industry and in my line of business. It's, you know, what is the market doing? And when we say market, not just real estate, but stock markets, equities, crypto. I mean, we've done tons of episodes on this stuff and we have guests on here to talk about that as well. But today we want to talk about to our audience, what are some of the factors that actually move the market? Right. Because it, it, there's a lot of things that do it. And it appears when the market's good, you know, we don't see these factors get enough attention. But when the market's a little bit in turmoil, boy, investors are clinging onto every index that comes out and a reason for it. Why? And over the last couple of weeks, we had, uh, well, I guess it was close to a month now, the CPI index, which right. is uh, a, a, an inflationary index, come out and kind of set the tone for the markets um, in a in a pretty you know decent reading that no one was expecting at that level. And then as of Thursday, last Thursday, today being Tuesday, we saw, I think this was what, December 1st, we saw the PCE Mm-hmm. come out and mm-hmm. that came in in line but there's some things in there that are worth talking about that we kind of want to break down here a little bit we have a soon to be cpi reading coming out for the month of december and then the federal reserve meets on the 14th to kind of digest all of these things and that's going to be the market mover in that order but let's talk about it today let's talk about what moves the market and what's what what is the market distillery seeing right now and kind of want to share with the audience about especially that pce reading yeah and i think you made a great point there about when times are good people don't really care about these numbers as much, mm-hmm. right? And and we referenced that when we were talking about FTX and when crypto was booming, nobody was looking under the hood to see what's going on as long as the results are positive, that's what's, what people care about. Same thing here with stocks and real estate and, and all these other markets. And what has happened is we've we've seen essentially an about face of the market. It feels that way, at least the momentum uh, in a lot of ways. The stock market's peaked, at least in the short term, real estate transactions have drastically peaked, right? Not necessarily prices everywhere, but the amount of business that's taking place has really slowed down as there's a lot of uncertainty. And ultimately, what do people look for when there is an uncertainty? They look for data, they look for information, they look for clues as to what they can expect going forward. And so one of the things we do at the Market Distillery especially is focus on the real estate side and Mm -hmm. try to use data to help create valuable conversations for agents so they can explain it to their clients. And some of what we look at, and and you know this as a, as you know, mortgage rates are impactful to everyone in real estate. Inflation's become that number one thing along with the fed as to, and they're tied together, right? Right. Like it's, it's what is inflation doing and what's the feds response going to be that everybody seems to care about. That's, that's the big number one thing. So if we say what's moving the market right now, that's the number one thing. Right. What is happening to inflation? Because we know that that corresponds to the Fed's activity. And I think two things to add to that would be investors like certainty. Right. They don't like uncertainty. Sure. When we say investors, we mean equity investors, market bond, list goes on and on. But we like certainty. Like we know what it's going to be. We know what the trend should look like. That's a good thing. When there's this volatility in the market, which represents uncertainty, that's when you kind of get trends that that don't add up or more importantly, scare people out of certain positions. Right. And then we see market movers happen. And sometimes people sell off, some people transfer to bonds, some people stay in the equities, 
I don't think many are going to crypto right now, but maybe. I mean, there's just a couple of different, you know, asset classes that people could go to, commodities, gold, silver, and, right. and real estate as well. So there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. And so as we kind of dive into this, I think it's important to draw the correlation that as inflation moves up or down, mm -hmm. so do long-term interest rates. Yep. And, and, and that's important because there's a direct correlation to that. And obviously for our real estate listeners, you know, if you're asking about rates, you know, you go back to episode, you know, eight where we talked about that. But as inflation moves, so does the market for mortgage interest rates, essentially. Yeah. And this hasn't been a topic of discussion for a long time. And Almost just to give years. a right, yeah. and, and to get a little, a little backdrop, uh, it was the summer of 2020. I was starting at UF in um, my doctorate program, and I have an economics class. And the teacher there is from Harvard, graduated from Harvard. And I asked him after class, I said, well, yeah, but what do you think about inflation? Because we had just had this massive CARES Act, a lot of money going in the mm -hmm. market. And he goes, inflation? What inflation? We haven't <laughs> seen inflation. Inflation's not relevant. <laughs> and so it's interesting, though, because that's the, the mindset here that everybody's dealing with is, it, again, it's just like going to the gym when you've never been to the gym. Right now, what we're dealing with is we've had this long period of sort of comfortable, no inflation. Everybody knows to expect that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's planning around that. That's in place. And then all of a sudden, bam, we got to deal with some stuff. And it's very, very uncomfortable because we're not used to it. And, you know, if we sort of go back in time, the last CPI reading that came out was favorable, really favorable. And everybody's trying to guess when is inflation going to top? When is it going to peak? Peak, Because yep. then they feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and nobody knows, but that in, that report was very favorable compared to what the market expected. And that's really important to realize, right? Like mm -hmm. the market moves, they, they set expectations based on what they think is going to happen. You get the report. And if it's better than expected, right, you'll see big moves. If it's worse than expected, you'll see big moves the opposite way. Right. And if it's as expected, it's already baked into the price, meaning you're not going to see a lot of activity because the market's sort of already gotten to They expect already priced it, it right. in. So for, for our audience... Think of this like the odds, right? right? The odds makers have already said it's going to come in at a certain reading. And if they're right, the market really doesn't move. If they're wrong either way, good. It, if they're wrong off as in that, that came in as a better reading, the market's going to improve because of that. Right. And if it came in over that, the market's going to deteriorate because they were wrong. But right. think of the expectation as the odds makers for that particular index reading that day. And they do have historical readings that kind of supply that information to them. Right. And this is interesting, though, because the CPI came out better than expected. We saw the biggest move in, I think— the you last know, decade. The last decade, actually maybe 20 back, years. Yeah, it goes back to when they started actually recording and, and observing these movements. It was the largest one on the bond side and on the mortgage-backed security side that we've seen in the history of recording that data. Yeah, which means in one single day, mortgages went down. The a rate lot. on mortgages went down more than they have since we've we've started recording this, and so because of this improvement in the reading, correct, and that's and that's important because again, that's that relates to real life, right? Because sure. now all of a sudden, houses that weren't as affordable suddenly become more affordable. Um, Let me put in perspective for our audience: we were at seven and a half percent on that day when it happened, right? And we went down to six three seven five by the end of that day, right? That's a that's a that's a one point one two five drop in direct consumer interest rates. Like you felt that that day. Right. You, later on at four o'clock that day, the consumer is winning when they were not winning at nine a.m. when the market's open that morning. Right. That's how much impactful that was. Right. And so the the market, I think, gathers steam of expecting. Wow. Okay, we got some good news. Mm -hmm. Maybe things are getting better. Right. You know, the Fed has been trying to fight inflation. Now this report comes in better than we thought. 
the irony is we still have 7% inflation. It's not like inflation's gone. Sure. Uh, it's just not as bad as we thought it was. But what that does, though, is there's a lag to that, right? So like when in real estate, we're going to see that show up in house prices in the next 30, 60, 90 days because now suddenly things got more affordable. People are going to enter the market. They're going to go under contract, and that's not going to show up until they actually buy the house. Right. Um, but if we fast forward to you know the last week, the PCE, PCE came out. And so let's let's stop for a second. Yep. What does CPI mean? What yeah. does that mean? Consumer price index. So so they're trying to measure the cost of of things that people buy and right. consume, what and you pay they for can't, as a consumer. right? And they can't just simply say, you know, this one item costs this much more. So that's that's the cost of everything. Right. So they create this. Uh, think of it like supermarket sweep. They've got a, a shopping cart. And literally, they're trying to put a bunch of different things in the shopping cart to get a good average of mm-hmm. what, what is happening to prices. Right. Because if we look at just one item, you don't necessarily measure it correctly. You can make, make um, you know, just because uh, the bag of uh, Cheetos got really expensive doesn't mean that everything in the store got expensive. That's correct. Right? So they try to get a widespread of things and see what happened to prices when we do it that way as a way to measure inflation. And the CPI, to me, is what the sort of the public looks at more. Sure. Uh, and leading into probably the next question, what's the PCE? There you go. Yep. Um, you know, that is the report that the Fed favors the most, the personal consumption expenditures. Right. Uh, it's not as fun to say as no, consumer it's not, it's price index. but you're right. But um, similar type thing. They're, they're trying to measure how prices are changing. And the Fed looks at that one because it's deemed to be a little more stable mm-hmm. and a little less erratic so that they can maybe make some better decisions around that. Um, and both of those reports are broken into what's called the core and, you know, total, if you will. And what the core is, is that's everything except for food and energy. So the reason why they take out food and energy is that, that it's deemed to be volatile. And we see this at the pump. I mean, we can go from four to three to five to three, sure. all within a few months' time period if something else is going on. And you see it at the grocery store. Right. You see it at restaurants. So, right. I mean, it's extremely volatile. In theory, yeah. If there's a drought yeah. or a shortage of something because of weather, you know, I think the Fed basically looks at that and says, we can't control some of these aspects. So that's why we look at what's called the core mm-hmm. uh, aspect of these. And, and they're measuring things like housing costs and shelter and apparel and services and commodities and all that stuff. Um, but the PCE came out and it was not as favorable, right? It met the odds makers, right. you know, expectations, if you may, right. for what it was set at, but it didn't come out spectacularly better like CPI did, right. but it still came in at expected. And, and it really, uh, it showed that, hey, listen, um, you know, it's, it, it showed the markets that the windfall we were expecting from the CPI wasn't there because had we got a better reading in this, we probably would have seen those rates we were just describing fall below six. Sure. And the treasury come, the 10 year treasury come down below that 3.4 mark. And we just never broke that barrier because the market momentum didn't continue from the CPI party that was going on of the great reading. And that was kind of unfortunate because I think a lot of people were expecting that. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the things that, that I always sort of use when thinking about this is, you know, Lou Holtz had a great quote about, you know, it's it's never as good as it seems or as bad as it seems. Somewhere in between lies reality. Mm-hmm. And and I think the market got so excited that inflation was potentially going to just go away with that CPI reading. 
And then the PCI was a little bit of dose of reality of we're probably still somewhere in between there, yeah, right? The, the PCE side of things. Or PCE, yeah. Yeah. So, but why would why would the market why was the market so excited that we were starting to see swings in inflation, Alex? I mean, explain to our audience why they would have gotten excited about that. Besides the obvious inflation coming down, but what was the actual underlying tone of excitement there? Why? Well, because what it does is it relates to what the Fed's going to do. Yeah, exactly. And and it's you know it's it's interesting because it's not really about inflation; it's just about what the Fed's going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's an a weird place to be in a market where one player has such a big influence on everything. Um, but if inflation doesn't go away, what the Fed's going to have to do is continue to try to, quote, tighten. They're going to raise interest rates and they're going to stop buying bonds. And and that is going to, as you've already said, that's going to bring about pain. They, yep. they have to um, not necessarily destroy jobs, but they're going to destroy the foundation that would then cause those jobs to go away. Um, if inflation goes away, they don't necessarily have to do that. They don't which be as feel, painful. Which feels a lot better. Yeah. And that's what we refer to as a soft landing that you hear about in the news is they're trying to say, how can we take inflation from such a high level and and let it gradually come down and land to where we want it without you know, sink in the battleship. Yeah, without causing so much pain to the right. economy and the general consumer and the public and so forth and so on, you know. Um, but the reality is all signs are pointing towards what you want and what you're going to get are two different things. Right. And the reality is the soft landing is going to end up more like a hard crash here in a minute because they're it, the signs aren't pointing towards what they're trying to accomplish. Correct. And I think, when you know, as we jump into this, this uh, PCE reading, you know, also it was met with Powell's commentary of his, uh, hey, listen, we're going to do what it takes to maintain inflation um, at a sub four percent, two percent rate, because we're not gonna we're not gonna back off the we're not gonna back off the the, the gas here. We're gonna continue raising rates and get it done, and we're prepared to see unemployment go to five percent, and uh, we don't want to see it go above that, but we're prepared to see it get to that. Yeah, and you you know the hard part there is balancing anything that way. Sure. Right? How do you get a stop on the dime? <laughs> um, right. But but I think what we're seeing though, and what we can take from this, is uh, some some trends that are happening. So on the PCE. One of the only categories that was down a lot, meaning prices actually came down, was financial services and insurance. Interesting. And what's interesting about that is, is I think of if I'm a household, how what cost do I have the ability to actually reduce? Right, like mm-hmm. I'm probably probably not going to eat less food, right? Things like that. I, there's there's a lot of things I'm going to spend on because I have to. Just I, that's just life, right? But if we talk about okay, I'm going to shop my insurance. You know, I'm going to call these these companies I have subscriptions with. I'm going to try to now shop my mortgage more because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a, it's a really big decision. And so that's that's where the biggest progress has been made, but that's not necessarily going to move the needle a, as a whole. And what is interesting is the, the number one category that was up was motor vehicles and parts, uh, which is just kind of telling because that means people are still buying cars. And last time I checked, you don't really buy a car if your finances are are in shambles, but also it's one of the only things on the list that can be financed outside of a house. Right. So I think that's telling us, in my opinion, okay, people are still willing to buy cars. They want to have that. They want to do that. And it's being made affordable because of financing. Yeah, debt financing. Could an argument also be made there under parts that the cost of those parts sure. and the labor wage, you know, wage inflation that's there also combined with the fact that, you know, some of those parts aren't built here in America. We're having, right. to, we're having to import those in. And so that causes an additional, you know, through tariffs, cost, et cetera, all passed down to the consumer that, you know, that could also be adding to it. Yeah. And I think if we sum up 
2022, the challenge for anybody that's trying to figure out what's going on is there's data on both sides of each argument that can support it. You can easily have information that says, uh, uh, you know, things are going to crash and you can equally have information that says things are actually pretty good. Uh, and that's the the trouble we're in because right now we look at the jobs numbers we're getting where they're, they're not terrible. Uh, you know, each time we get an initial claims number, which means how many people are filing for unemployment and it, it should tell us if that number goes up like it did during uh, 2020, that should tell us, okay, great, yeah, this is happening in real time. And, right, and and you, you can know that there's changes, but what's happening is the Fed's trying to react to this. They know that they're watching that, but at the end of the day, we're not seeing the results yet. And I think that's because a lot of companies got traumatized of it was so hard to find people. We're going to try to do everything we can before we just really start letting people go. Right. Uh, because if I let my good people go, how am I going to ever replace them? I might not get another right. One, Especially right? if if this gets bad enough and we end up sending more checks to people, they may never come back. <laughs> um, so, you know, at the end of the day, though, one of the other things that came out of the PCE report that I don't think people really talk about as much, um, you know, that measures people's income and people's expenses. And so, if you compare those two things, you get their savings, right? You get okay. their savings rate, and we've we've seen this trend. Uh, sort of continue. So at the beginning of 2021, the average savings rate on somebody's disposable income, meaning, you know, if you you had at the end of the month, a thousand extra dollars to do whatever you want with, right. 10% of that was being saved. We're down to under 3%. Yeah. I was going to say it about 2.4. Yeah. 2.4 is the most so, re- re- recent reading. Just to kind of put that in perspective for our audience, we have a couple of things going on here. We had during COVID, one of the highest savings rates. Right that you're describing in American history. We were off the charts. Now, a lot of that argument is, well, it was additional money coming in. Maybe it wasn't and additional And it was forced savings because you didn't have anything to go do. That was the next point. Yep. You had nothing to do. You couldn't go anywhere to spend it unless you online shopped, and there's only so much that you could do. No vacation, no leisure hospitality. <laughs> it, we weren't really spending money on gas. You were at home. Restaurants were closed. I mean, there was a lot of things that suppressed that spending limit, therefore raising some of the highest savings rates that we've seen. Right. Now that everything's back open... Uh, for some time now, it's not like that just happened, but for some time now, we see that spending kind of accelerated here, and we see all that was saved has kind of been wiped out. It's almost gone now. Yeah, and I was reading the Wall Street Journal, and they they sort of cherry-picked an example, but I do think it's probably pretty representative of what's going on, but they had a, 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 you know, a 30-year-old being quoted as saying, I'm going on two vacations this year, and yeah, I'm, I'm saving less money, but I, I haven't gone on vacations in the last two years and I deserve it and I want to do it. Yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of maybe rebellion in the personal finance world of, you know, I, I got to do some stuff because I just have been holding that back. and <laughs> I responsible I de- for I de- long enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I deserve it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big point right there. And then. so it's just one of those things that that's, you know, again, you got a lot of stuff brewing here where will the Fed do stuff and we not see the results of it for... 90 days, 120 days after it's done. Yeah, that's that's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lag to that. Um, will we see moments where these reports come out and you can feel like the, the tide has been turned and all of a sudden we're going to go somewhere else? Absolutely. We saw that with the CPI. But the important thing to remember is you got to probably moderate your expectations on both ways. And if you're a professional trying to think about how to use this information, you know, 
it's it's telling me that there's going to be opportunities that come up based mm-hmm. on certain reports, right? If you're in real estate and you were paying attention and you had a day like we did when the CPI came out, you have an opportunity to go capture a lot of savings that weren't there before and and get in front of your people and make them aware that they can now go accomplish some things they wanted to do. Um, and if you're not paying attention to this at all, you're going to miss those opportunities. Well, let me dive it down. If you're a consumer and you're a potential home buyer, right? your opportunity while you have your applications pending, you have things going, you too can be an eye in the sky. You know when these reports are coming out, they're made public. You know, you know the big economic weeks that are happening. It's all over the news. You watch that report. If you beat expectations for better, you're going to see a windfall of improvements in the rate later on that afternoon. So right. it'd be a great opportunity for you to take advantage of that and lock it up with your lender or however you choose to do that or whether you're financing an automobile, whatever that is, there's opportunity for you also to control your destiny a little bit based on observations right. that um, you know not everybody does. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. So, you know, going back to that savings rate, what I thought was interesting about this when I read that report was that it's also coming on the heels of the consumer debt report. Sure. That essentially shows we have one of the highest consumer debt ratings, particularly in the credit card area, that we've ever seen. Yeah. And we have more minimum payments being made now than we've ever seen. Correct. And when it comes to credit cards, and I'm going to specifically say this to credit cards, you know, Jamie Dimon uh, is, you know, being the CEO, president of Chase, you know, who has one of the largest credit card, you know, divisions said, we got a hurricane brewing in the background of this credit card department. Right. Now, unlike housing, unlike automobiles, there's no recourse if people don't pay their credit card debt other than, you know, basically, you know, representing a bad credit rating. But there's no, there's no repossession. You just shut the line off and then there's, there's nothing you can, no recourse. You can threaten all you want to by saying, you know, listen, my credit's going to get damaged and you won't be able to do this, 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 but you're not doing anything to take away to go get something, right? right? Yeah. There's no, there's no hard assets. There's no car disease. There's no house. That's right. Exactly. So with that being said, you know, it makes for an interesting um, projection, if you may, to see, okay, savings rates down. We just talked about that. Credit card debt is all-time high. Minimum payments made all-time high. You know, are people maybe overextending themselves? Are they debt financing their habits right now? Because, you know, the way that I've seen it is that there were a lot of habits created during COVID and post-COVID. Yep. And, you know, I keep talking I keep talking about this velocity of money. I keep talking about what he's had. But, man, when I go to these restaurants, here's what I see. I see I still got to wait. I got to call ahead and get seating. I got to make a reservation. Um, you know, even when I go to lunch, you know, uh, when we go out, the restaurants are packed. It doesn't matter where you go. They're packed. 
it's that hasn't that pain you mentioned earlier hasn't started to seep in yet. Well, Not yet. And I think that though lends itself. This is a great example of sometimes how you can take your experience and apply it to a nation, right? Mm-hmm. So we're in Florida, right? That that is potentially a very different economic environment than say Chicago. Uh, or you know some of these other markets that may may feel things differently. And, you know we just put out a a graphic showing all the GDP by state, and you know we hear the U.S.'s GDP is is changing, meaning you know uh, we're in a recession or we're not or whatever, but we're declining. Okay, if you take that lump number and apply it to the whole nation, you're going to make potentially bad decisions or or incorrect decisions because when you break it down by state, you'll see. Certain states are thriving, certain states aren't. And so to to your point, here we may have less issues with credit cards or we may have a greater demand for eating out and mm-hmm. living that lifestyle. Um, other places it may not be like that, but to your point, we don't know that. We, it's either people keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with lifestyles or we have to use our credit cards because we have no other way to pay for these things that are starting to cost us more. Right. And, and you know, th- that can be a, a real hard challenge. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. And, and unfortunately, that will show up. Right. And, you know, there's a lot to be said. I think we had one of the better shopping retail uh, in November on, on the Friday after Thanksgiving. We had one yeah, of the highest shopping. Friday. Yeah, yep. and then Cyber Monday also was another big day. The question is, in the remaining part of the holiday season, do we see retailers start to fill a little bit of this credit card crunch? Or do we plow through the retail season and then, you know, here comes the Grinch after the beginning of the year to kind of, you know, show up on the, well, let's say it on on the first of the year blues that happens. Usually we always have an overexpenditure that happens, but now coupled with one of the lowest savings rates that we've seen, coupled with some of the highest credit card debt we've seen, actually the highest and the highest minimum payment rate we've ever seen. I think that's what Mr. Diamond was explaining when he said we got a hurricane of brewing. Sure. So I'm going to pose you with this question here. We saw this happen in 2008. What happens when they cut those credit card limits off? Sure. And they say we've 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 hit a number. You know, I know let's you walk in one day, you got a you got a limit of X and your ratio to X is at 50%, meaning let's say it's five thousand dollars for your credit limit, but you only got twenty five hundred on the balance. That's it. What happens when you come in and they cut that down to three? Or they cut it down, they just do a stop loss at twenty five hundred. Right. Because if we think that that's out of the equation, it's not. Because we've seen it happen once before, and they'll do it again if they have to. They, if they get to a stop loss where they think there's an issue, they being the credit card holders, that very well could happen. Right. Um, you know, we saw it happen to home equity lines in 2008. I'm not suggesting that'll happen right now, but what I am saying is that we've often said this: if they cut those off, or if they reduce them, or they suspend them. That's another thing. That's a popular term. If they suspend them, yeah. And then they say, listen, you know, also as these short-term rates are increasing from the Federal Reserve, which we know they're going to continue because they've all but guaranteed they're going to do it in December on the 14th. That directly impacts the credit card interest rates, which right. means those minimum payments are going up again. You know, what do you see in the what do you see in the likelihood of a that happening, and b what would that look like? Well, it's tough. It, I think you have a battle there between private companies who offer those credit cards mm-hmm. and a government who does not want uh, to see that happen. Probably, I mean, it, it doesn't. Um, when when people have trouble affording food or, yeah. or things like that, That's there's good. not a country in history that has has had a good <laughs> outcome from that. that I mean, yeah. we we are um, that's where stuff starts to get real, and so that leads us to to if we had to really project, sort of what do we think is going to happen? At the end of the day, history would tell us 
that should things get bad, the Fed has always historically stepped in. Yeah. And and that's the hard part when we look at this inflation is how do they step in? Well, they give everybody more money. Right. And it is very much politically more popular to help people pay their bills and and provide funds for that, even if prices continue to rise, than it would be to have the alternative of we're not gonna we're gonna make you pay yeah. your bills. Yep. Even though we've enabled this for so long by training everybody to just you know, hey, you'll get bailed out kind of a situation. Right. So I, I think um, I think that at the end of the day, uh, it's it's going to be hard to predict it perfectly one way or another, but we're probably going to see the pendulum swing, swing one way and then a reaction come in and start to swing it the other way uh, in response and potentially, you know, if I've learned anything, you can kick the can down the road a lot farther yeah. than you thought. Here's here's a bold prediction I'm going to throw out there. I think the markets are reading right through what Jerome Powell's toughness is. And I think Jerome Powell is talking a very big game right now of what he has to do, what the Fed's going to do. Yep. And I think the markets are going exactly what you just said. You're not going to do that because you can't do that. Historically, you've always stepped down, gone back to easing as the Fed, not Jerome Powell, but the Fed has historically always gone backwards when times get tough. They're not going to let the average consumer go without right. because it's a bad political move. We do have an election coming up very close again, coming out of midterms. We're not that far from when the campaign trail starts. No one wants that going against them when they have to campaign. Sure. So I think what's going to happen, to your point, is I think right now it's easy to talk a big talk. Right. But let's see what happens as we get into that first quarter and what it looks like. And that also leads to the fact of what you've been saying for quite some time now, which is, and, and hats off to you for this, is that this inflation we're going to be living with for a little while. This isn't just going to go away no matter how many rate hikes we've done over the course of the last really six months. It's going to take more than that. But in the verge of doing more than that, we could break something. Yep. We could cause something to crack, kind of like what we talked about with FTX. There could be some other things that we talked about in that episode eight that could happen that we're starting to see unfold. But they're not going to be able to fulfill their journey because some of those other things are going to pop up. So they're going to have to pause. Right. And as you mentioned, maybe start easing again, which is an addictive policy that they do, as we've seen since 1998. And then that's going to back them into a corner with inflation. Yeah. And that's kind of to your point. We're here to live with this for a little bit. It's not going to go away. Well, and people don't think about it when inflation, what we're dealing with is in, is inflation happening. When inflation goes away, prices don't go back to the way they were. No. Prices just stop going up or they start going up slower. Um, and so, you know, from a consumer standpoint, you're going to have to wrap your head around the fact that we're not going to see things go back necessarily to the way they were when it comes to pricing that. And the other thing is when you look at history of the, what the Fed does, they they raise slowly, right? They're tightening slowly. They're making things harder slowly. When something breaks, man, they they take the whole thing off and they go straight to zero. Yep. Uh, I mean, we've seen that three times in a row, and it is okay. Well, this is this is not good because usually they wait until it's too late, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would love it if they could just maybe figure out how to do that before it broke, <laughs> um, but they break it and then they have to immediately take everything they've done back to the drawing board and we're back down to 0% on the Fed funds rate. We're back to easing. We're back to trying to make this better. And um, I hope that there's a, a middle of the road solution that's easier, but that is what history would tell us would happen. And yeah. um, some may argue you know. that the only defense mechanism the Federal Reserve has, the bullets as they call them yeah. in their chamber, is the reduction of interest rates and sure. quantitative easing and then buying of mortgage-backed securities and buying of treasuries. That's it. That's all they got. Now, don't get me wrong. There's 
billions and trillions of dollars to operate inside there. But once you create a policy, it's kind of check, that one's gone, okay? Check, that one's gone. It doesn't take long before all these these defense mechanisms the Federal Reserve has to counter the economy are used up, and now it just becomes an expectation based on you know what you're doing more so than it is a policy. Yep. And then that's your to your point, you're back down to zero before you know it, and then you got to start all over again. Yep. So you definitely could see, uh, you know, as you've said for a while now, why we would be stuck in this, you know, I think you've called it stagflation is the term it's been deemed here. And, yep. you know, it, it's given the appearance this may not go away as, as well, um, coupled with some of these, you know, um, policies and procedures and things we've discussed. Yeah, and we're seeing that cheap money is like a drug. And once you're on it, it's very hard to get off of it. And mm-hmm. and technically, I don't think we've ever been able to get off of it, right? We just have sort of varying degrees of it. So uh, something we'll, we'll continue to watch and look out for. And uh, I think the more that you are starting to learn about this as a professional or as a consumer, uh, the better you can at least guide your own finances and um, sort of know what to expect once you see these articles coming out and once you see the news reports. Yeah. Yeah, well, our goal today was hopefully to encourage and, and educate everybody, the listeners in particular, on what these what these inflationary indexes are. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really three of them. There's yep. the two we discussed today, which would be the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, yep. and then as well as the PCE, which is always a tongue twister, the Personal Consumption Expenditures, yep. and then there's the Producer Price Index, which right. is kind of like the, the the carries the least weight of the three, but we're starting to see it gain some traction because the more it costs someone to make you know, let's say that iPad you're working on or this notebook that I'm writing in, eventually they got to pass that cost down. And that's what we've seen that happen. That's why the, the consumer price index has risen so right. much because eventually at some point you got to give it back to the consumer. So that's what we're seeing. Um, I'll leave the last part with this today. Let's talk about the gas pump. Yep. Because it's part of inflation. Let's talk about this. Gas pump, you know, drastically reduced in price compared to where it was, you know, a year ago, eight months ago. We know that's falsely reduced based off of certain taxes being basically suspended by the government. Right. And then the oil reserve that we've been, you know, essentially using and also selling. Yep. And, you know, for the audience, something to keep in mind is that the strength of the U.S. dollar, which is what we've been talking about over the course of the last couple of episodes, has really proposed a huge profit for the United States because as we're shipping those barrels out and we're exporting them and getting paid, our dollar is stronger than the currency that we're sending that to. So therefore, we're, we're reaping the economic benefit of that. Right. So at some point, that's going to have to stop. I believe it stops at the end of December. That's when the cutoff is for all of this, the tax and that. So we're going to see the gas pumps go up to probably first of the year and right after that. Yeah. And a double whammy here is, um, you know, it's kind of hard to think about the dollar being stronger or weaker. You know, stronger just means you can buy more with the dollar. Weaker means you buy less. And that's odd because we've got such high inflation. So right. it's, but you got to remember that the dollar is related around the world to other currencies. So that's when we say it's stronger. It's stronger compared to the other currencies, not compared to itself. Yeah, good clarification. Um, it's stronger in the export game. We're making more money off of what we're selling because it costs them more money to buy our product. Correct. And anybody who's traveled overseas know. You, know, you yeah. go turn your dollars in to get the currency of wherever you're traveling to, and you either get a lot more or less or whatever. And so that's that's that. But, um, you know, we've I don't think a lot of people realize we have this strategic reserve of oil mm-hmm. and that what's been happening is, again, we've been using that to keep the prices low on gas. Millions of barrels. And Millions. Guess what happens? We're going to have to refill that at a certain point. That's correct. In theory. I mean, I guess you don't, but that's well, a that's a national security risk. Well, I mean, it's called a strategic reserve right. for a reason. So that is built up to protect our country if we have a lack of supply to help the general public. And to your point, we talked about what what will happen then. We're going to have to rebuild it. We're going to have to replenish it. Yep. And there's going to be cause and effect for that as well. 
But more importantly, the direct impact to the consumer is going to be in the first quarter of 23. You can guarantee you're not going to see that pump price go down. It will go up. Yep. The tax alone is going to run it up. And they're going to have to, uh, you know, like they had that sunset of that suspended taxes. And then at the end of the year, we can't sell any more from our strategic reserve. We can't do it. So that's going to stop as well. Yeah. And, and even though they stripped that out on core, right, the core CPI, mm-hmm. if the cost of oil goes up, oil is a, a product that goes into so many other products. Sure. So that that cost is going to make its way into the system. Absolutely. Uh, that way. So um, lots of fun things to look forward to. <laughs> a lot of stuff on the horizon here as we wrap up the year. I yep. appreciated you being on the show uh, during the course of the six months and uh, your, your value your uh, opinions and, and your expertise on this. Thanks for being on here, Alex. Yeah, my pleasure. Looking forward to uh, 2023. If people want to learn more about the market distillery and all these wonderful ideas you're bringing, what way can they find this stuff out? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I try to put a lot out on Instagram because because it's a visual thing and I love colors and pictures, right? And that's the easiest way to understand data in my opinion mm-hmm. is to see pictures because uh, it just, it shows it so much more, but you can go to themarketdistillery.com. Uh, we've got our website set up. We're going to be offering um, subscriptions for industry professionals who are interested in being data-driven, understanding how to use data in their, their um, careers. And we've found that consumers these days they need help in being able to understand what's going on. And if you can't answer their questions, they don't take action. Uh, and it's not about getting them to take action as much as it is, it's about helping them feel confident in the action that they ultimately do want to take mm-hmm. uh, and not missing the boat. And so um, we're going to have a lot more stuff coming out in 2023 to help uh, industry professionals really grow and learn and understand how to use data in their, their, um, their profession. Oh, I love it. Guys, check it out over at the Market Distillery. And uh, for more information on our podcast, go to 1mpodcast.com. That's 1mpodcast.com. You can find all the sources of platforms you want to listen to there from our Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and as well as on YouTube as well. Just show some love out there. We appreciate the support. Alex, thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. Got one more shot, I'm going to make it. One more chance, I'm going to take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah